We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. To some friends that are tuning in tonight, all the way from Carlsbad, California, Daniel Hughes and his brand new wife, Lexi. Let's hear it for them. We're so glad that y'all are tuning in with us. Excellent. Love you guys. We're proud of you, Daniel. Way to go. There is a long Christian tradition that goes as far back as 300 A.D. It is called the Paschal Greeting. Say Paschal. It's a Paschal Greeting, and, and, and it is a call and response. And I'd love for us to all to stand together if we could. Stand together, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate this together. All right, I'll give the call, and then we're all going to respond together. Here it is, the call. He is risen. The response is... He is risen indeed. All right. You may be seated. Let's clap for Jesus. There it is. Too late. Text him. All right. Today we are celebrating what many call the greatest story ever told. If you think the story of Jesus is the greatest story you've ever told, you are not alone. In fact, there was a movie in 1965 entitled The Greatest Story Ever Told. And you know who that movie was about. It was about Jesus, right? As great as the writings of J.R. Tolkien, when you say the greatest story ever told, you don't think of The Lord of the Rings. As successful as the writings of J.K. Rowling are, no one here thought, you know, he's talking about Harry Potter when I said the greatest story ever told. Am I telling the truth? No one thought that. As fantastic as George Lucas's offering uh, that took us to a galaxy far, far away. No one here thought of a Star War <laughs> when we said the greatest story ever told. West Side Story is an example of a great and diverse musical. And as great as Leonard Bernstein's music is, no one ever would say it is the greatest story ever told. We could go on the list. Shakespeare, he told some great stories, but they fall short of this story we're talking about today. Homer's Iliad and Odyssey are noteworthy. One of, one of the greatest ancient writings you can find is, is Homer's works. But I would tell you they can't compare to the story we're talking about today. The story of Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told. And I want to talk about it today. Anybody want to talk about it with me? So let's talk about the beginning. Everybody say the beginning. Think about the beginning of the story. The story could be as early as Genesis 3.15. That might be the beginning of the story. You might look back there. We could make an argument, of course, for John 1 1, but let's let's go with John, let's go with Genesis 3.15, where God gives a prophecy and a promise. God says the child, the seed, would crush our enemy. Way back in Genesis 3, God declares that the story starts with a prophecy and a promise for your victory over death from the beginning. The beginning of the story was so compelling that Adam, Eve, Abraham, Isaac, David, all the heroes of old that we could go and list, every one of them found this story beginning so compelling that everyone else in the Bible was always looking for the arrival of Jesus to come. Every one of them. Every one of them because the beginning is that compelling. And when Jesus comes to fulfill all promise, his story proves both powerful 
and beautiful. So we talked about prophecy and promise. Let's talk about powerful and beautiful. How's this for beauty? A bright shining angel named Gabriel came and commanded, name the child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And if one angel doesn't do it for you, how about a whole host of angels? They filled the night sky and they sang to shepherds. They sang glory to God in the highest and peace among men. A supernatural star shone in the night. How about that for power and beauty? God somehow creates a star and lets it move at his own will. And you know what? It guides kings to worship who? This child as he starts, as he enters the world. The beginning we're talking about. The beginning of the story is filled with prophecy and promise, power and beauty. Can you say amen? The beginning of the story also reveals a glorious message. Do you know the message? You know what this is all about? Do you know if we if we narrowed everything down to its base message? Do you know what the message is? Here's the message. God really loves us. That's the message. All the message here, you talk about a glorious message. The message is the God who created everything, the reason he created everything was you. He loves you. The reason he gave the promise and the prophecy and the promise was because he loves you. The reason he has done everything he has done is because he loves you. I talk to so many people, you might be listening right now, that, that think that the Lord is so angry at them, at them and God doesn't love them and God is done with them. Wrong. You need to get a hold of the glorious message from the beginning is that God loves you. Clap your hands if you know what I'm talking about. God loves you. Online, clap your hands. He loves you. God really loves loves you. You see, that's our message to the world. Man, I could I could right here preach for a little bit, church. That's our message to the world. Our message to the world is not that there are a bunch of filthy sinners. Or that yeah, That's not our message to the world. The bunch of filthy sinners are us, and we're saved by grace. Why? Because God really loves us. That's it. From the beginning of the story, it becomes clear that God loves us, even though we are sinners. God sent his son to save us from the beginning it is made clear god did not leave adam and eve and the rest of humanity alone to die could have well you messed up i'm just gonna let y'all learn your lesson just gonna let you stew in the in the garbage that you created right there no instead he doesn't leave us alone he is emmanuel and it means god with us he's with you He is not going to leave you alone. No, you see, God planned to come to earth himself. God would, would come, but here's the important thing. Get this, not to scold us or throw lightning bolts at us. Not to get near to us to really let us have it. Like he, he, like he could have let us have it from heaven's throne, but no, he wanted to come a little closer to look into your eyes and really give it to you. Really let you have it. No, not at all. Not to scold us, not to punish, punish us. He came to show us he really loves us. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. So far, you hooked on this story. Oh, man. Now let's jump to the end of the story. Will you jump to the end of the story? Let's talk about the end. Many stories start out promising but fall apart at the end. 
end. Somebody, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some stories end so badly that you wish you never, ever started watching ABC Network's Lost. Can I get a witness in here? Any witness in here? Oh my goodness, I wasted an hour each week for that ending. That was a terrible ending. It had such a good start, but the ending, what was that? And I have some friends, and y'all know who you are, who are like apologetics about Lost. It is a terrible show, and the pastor has spoken. There we go. Just lost like five people in the room. All right. The greatest story ever told must have a good ending. It's going to be the greatest. It better have a good ending. Do you think this story has a great ending? Yeah. Jesus resurrects. Jesus becomes alive, and not just kind of alive. Not just like he's holding on. There's a pulse. We have a pulse. There he is. He's a vegetable forever, but there's a little heartbeat. No, not that. No, he becomes so alive that there is no trace that death ever had a hold on him. There is no trace that death had control on him. In fact, it says that he has mastery over death. Death is the master of us all. It comes for us all, but not Jesus. Jesus is the master over death. How about that for an ending? When they walk into his empty tomb, they only see his politely folded linen grave clothes. They're just laying right there. Just left those behind. His story is that perfect. He, he even had time to just perfectly fold it. There it is. What a great end. This story, right? His story is perfect and it is complete. People who had lost all hope at the end of the story have found a more complete. That's how this story ends. All the promises from the beginning are proved true. And when your promises and those prophecies are found true, man, people give their life to it and they have hope to it. And that's how they really know that all this stuff about God loving us is true. The promises were true. God really loves us. And then jump ahead in your Bible to the very end of your Bible. What book are we talking about? We're talking about Revelation. And behold, this very same Jesus wipes tears from our eyes. The story ends with no death, no sickness, no hatred, no fear, no shame. All that exists is enduring love. I'm telling you. This is the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. We often like to think about the beginning. We often like to think about the end. But there emerges a middle part of this story tantamount as well. Today, I want to talk to you about the messy middle. Can you say messy middle? The middle of the story is so messy. The beginning of the story had prophecy and promise, but the middle is so messy, it causes everyone to second guess the original promise. They're like walking with him. They're like, we'll die with you, Jesus. We'll go all the way. And then suddenly they hit this middle part and you can't find one of them. They're run off. There was only one disciple that we know 
was at the middle section. John was. Peter had already denied Christ three times. Judas, we know his end. Where was everybody else? This middle part was so messy that it caused every one of them to second guess the beginning. Maybe we're wrong about the beginning. Jesus was prophesied to be a king. Isn't that right? But he was born in a manger. In a low class family. That lived in a backwatered town called Nazareth. Does that sound like a king? There is no glory in the messy middle. In the middle of the story, Jesus does not ascend to a throne and hobnob with the rich and powerful religious leaders. But instead, Jesus is down, he's found standing with sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, and widows. He is found being judged. He is found being imprisoned by the powerful, rich, religious leaders. And Jesus is betrayed. Betrayed by who? What's his name? Judas. By one of his own disciples named Judas. Now you tell me, how could a guy who has it all together, how could a guy who is king, how could a guy who's promised to be everything that the beginning said, how could he have been betrayed by one of his own? It made everybody wonder. It made everybody maybe rethink everything. It it shook everybody to their core. Jesus, how did Jesus not see this coming was what they were asking one another. Jesus' betrayal. He's offered a crown that's not golden. He's offered a crown that's twisted thorns crushed down on his head. How could that have ever happened in the middle of the greatest story ever told? You get to this middle part and it doesn't feel so great. The beginning prophesied power. Everyone said power. Jesus was prophesied to defeat the enemy and set us free from death. He was prophesied to crush the head of our enemy. But Jesus did not look powerful in the middle. In the middle of the story, he doesn't look powerful. Jesus was arrested. He was falsely accused. He was sentenced to die among criminals. All the while, Jesus looked pitiful and powerless to stop it. That's how it looked to everybody who witnessed the middle. The beginning was beautiful. All the beauty of the beginning of the story is impossible to remember When you stand at Calvary and see Jesus bleeding on the cross. When you see him struggling to breathe. Finally, he breathes his last. Can you you agree that there was nothing beautiful about Jesus on the cross? Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3 describes it thousands of years in advance. It says, he had no, what's the word? Beauty. Or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people 
hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. That's the middle of the story, isn't it? No beauty, no majesty. Everybody hides their face. They just can't even look upon him. That's how hard it is to get through the middle of the story. Jesus was brutally and slowly murdered. There's no other way to really describe that. It wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. It was brutal and it was slow. It was so messy that those who were not those who were closest to Jesus, most of them didn't even show up to stand by him. There is not a single person who shows up at his sham of a trial to say, that's not true. Nobody stood up and say, hey, he healed me. Where was Zacchaeus? You couldn't find him. Where was Lazarus? He wasn't there. Where was the woman that he went and drew in the sand? Where were they? There wasn't a single person there that stood up and said, he is my Lord and he's wonderful and he's glorious. There was not a single person that stood up in his defense. That's how messy it was. You have a few hours before you hit this beginning. You have Peter saying, I will ride and die with you. That's the Chris Fluitt version. I will go all the way. I will be imprisoned with you or die with you. That's what I'll do. And guess what? In the next 24 hours, he was both imprisoned and he both died and was in prison. And Peter, he couldn't even look at a little girl and say, I know him. He denies who Jesus is to the eyes of a little girl, a little maiden, says, You know him, you're one of his followers. And he curses and says, I never knew him. And then he hears the rooster. He had betrayed him three times. Oh, this middle's hard. Peter, he was given to the keys, he was given keys to the kingdom. But he couldn't stand in this middle section. They hid themselves as Jesus was beaten. With the whip, they called the cat of nine tails. Jesus' back was beaten and the skin was ripped so badly that we believe some internal organs were likely visible. The blood that had to have been shed. The agony. And then they take that beaten man and they, they hand him a large, heavy wooden cross made of timber beams and made him carry it through the streets of Jerusalem. They paraded him in front of crowds and the crowds were not kind. Crowds were vicious. The crowds, if they could slap him, they would. They could kick him, they would. If they could throw things, they would. They could spit on him, they did. If they could mock him, you bet they did. If they could hurl curses at him, you know that they did. When he reached the place called Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull, also called Calvary, they took his hands and his feet and large metal spikes. Maybe that big. Maybe that long. Picture that. Large metal spikes. 
And they drove them through his flesh and into his cross. The cross was lifted up and planted in rocky soil. And Jesus was hung high for all to see. And his full weight was held up by spikes driven through his hands and his feet. I have trouble imagining the agony and the pain he must have felt physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. Welcome to the messy middle where none of us really understand the depth of this horror. The middle of the story is such a mess. God, if this story is really your story, then why is the middle such a mess? I'm not the first to ask that question. So many people have asked that question. The people that day asked that question. Why is the story such a mess in the middle? God, you could have written your story any way you wanted. Do you agree with that? God could have read, read this, written this story any way he wanted. Why, God, did you choose for your story to be this awful mess in the middle? The messy middle is what makes this the greatest story ever told. I want to tell you that today. I want you to believe it by the time I'm done. I want you to understand that it's not a pretty Jesus on the sermon on the mount that makes this the greatest story ever told. And it's not us here today, here, here today sitting on our padded chairs at a church that make this the greatest story ever told. It's actually the mess in the middle that makes this the greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus is not an account of foretold royalty coming from heaven to earth, being received and celebrated as an all-powerful sovereign, only to ascend his earthly throne as King Jesus. This story is not, he's king in the beginning, he's king in the middle, and he's king at the end. That's not this story. It's not this story. That's not how he's treated. That's not how the middle plays out. This story is the king of heaven is willing to come to earth and be a messy carpenter. The story is the king of heaven coming to earth to tell messy people that they're loved. Not loved when they get things cleaned up. They're loved just the way they are. The story is the king of heaven will not turn away thieves, prostitutes, the poor, the hurting, the lost, or confused. The story is the king of heaven will come right down to the middle of your mess. And how close will he come to you? Well, he will actually live inside of you. He lives inside of me. Do you realize what a miracle that is? I know some of the stuff that goes on inside of me. There are thoughts that go on inside of me. There are desires that go on inside of me that I wouldn't want anyone to know. They're nothing but a mess. You talk about a mess. Who, if There are thoughts in my head that have gone through all of our minds that we wouldn't want anyone to know those thoughts because they're too messy. 
If anybody ever knew some of the things I said and some of the things I did and some of the places I went, if anybody, oh man, what a mess that would be. They'd throw me out of the church immediately. I want you to know Jesus Christ knows all the mess that is inside of you and he still comes and lives inside of you. Messy you. Oh. Is your story messy? Are you in the middle of a mess? Maybe your story started off beautifully, but now you stand in the middle of a mess. Anybody relate to that? What's in this mess? Well, maybe uncertainty is in this middle part. You're just uncertain. You're just not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Man, I don't know about my kids. I don't know if my kids are going to end up okay. I'm worried about them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to actually make it through the, this this economy. I don't know. I, I see our our bottom line kind of going down. I see our earnings potential going down. I see everything. I'm, I don't even look at our, our 401ks anymore <laughs> because they're tied to the stock market. I'm uncertain about all this stuff. I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain. I hate it. I hate it. About disappointment. Ah, uh, you got uncertainties in front of you, disappointments behind you. You're disappointed. You're disappointed about something that's happened. You're disappointed about something you should have done. You didn't do it. You're disappointed. How could I have done that? How could I have let that thing undone? I'm disappointed. And those disappointments, man, they come at you and they just hammer in at you. When you go to sleep, sometimes those disappointments just go, I'm going to sit on your heart and not let you not going to let you sleep tonight. Those disappointments, they're disappointments. They're a mess. How about loss, losing someone? Talk about a mess. Special days like this, sometimes we think about um, the person we lost. Think, man, I wish they were here. They would have loved it. Remember, we'd go over to their house and celebrate. They, they couldn't get enough of Easter barbecue, grill out the kids, watch the kids run around before they couldn't get enough, but now they're not here. It's a loss. It's a loss. There's an empty chair. It's a loss. The, the, the future you thought you were going to have, it's gone. And sometimes the loss is your future. Sometimes you, you have a lost future. You have little children that you can't be with. Sometimes you have a life you couldn't be with. You, you thought you were going to be married, and you're not anymore, and it's a loss. It's a loss. And what is it? It's a mess. Sickness. Some people just don't feel good. Why? It's not because they're not trying. It's because their body won't let them. They're filled with a sickness. They're filled with a disease. They've, they've got a cancer attacking their body. and it, it zaps them. They can't. They would love. that. There's people that would love to be here tonight, but they are so sick they can't be here. They're fighting something in their heart. They're fighting something in their life. And they can't even, it's just everything for them to answer the phone because of all they're going through. It's such a mess. Then there's some people that, given all of this, they're just angry about it. Just angry. Some people, even while we're worshiping, they want to worship, they want to enter into that, but there's a little bit of anger that won't let them because they prayed that a thing would happen and it didn't happen and they're angry about it. And now they're here at church, but they're here at church mainly because it's what you're supposed to do. They're angry. They may be too angry to come talk to God. They might be too angry to actually surrender. This anger 
has driven wedges between them and God and, and them and their spouse and them and their children. And so there's just, they're just cut off from everything. And it is such a mess. Life has all these messes in it. Life can be so messy. There are all kinds of messes. I want to tell you that the greatest story ever told reveals to us that we are not alone in our mess. Jesus knows all about your mess. Those secret messes you try to keep hidden. Those disappointing messes. Those thoughts that you try not to even dwell on anymore. They're too hurtful to remember. He knows about every one of them. You fool everybody else maybe with your mess. Just, oh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. We're having a great day. Inside, you're dying. That, that might fool everybody. It does not fool Jesus. Jesus is fully aware of your mess. He has not turned away from you because of your mess. He is not shameful towards you because of your mess. Jesus came to the messy middle of your life and my life. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this. Surely he took up our pain. Whose pain? Our pain. And bore our suffering. Whose suffering? Our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Whose transgression? That's a fancy word for sin. That's a fancy word for you meant to sin. That you didn't accidentally sin. You, you hauled off and drove right into sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. Say our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Who, who did it bring peace? Us. But the punishment was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Who is healed? But who received the wounds? He did. Your messy pain, all that pain we're talking about. All the pain ever felt in the world, he took it up and bore it on the All the suffering that has ever taken place, our suffering, he took it up and he bore it. He took the burden of it. He carried it like that cross all the way. It's all gone. Yet we considered him stricken by God. That was as much as we considered him. All the way. The piercings, the punishment and affliction, it says. Where was it? It was on him. The piercing and the crushing, it was on him. And the wounds, he received it all. And you feel like no one can understand you, but that is not true. There is a person that can understand you, and it's not me. And it's probably not the person sitting by you, but the person that can understand. Everything going on inside of you is Jesus Christ. He took your pain, took your suffering, took your sin, took your transgressions, took your iniquities, took your wounds, 
took it all, carried it to the cross. The Son of God has stood in the middle of your mess. I want to tell you God's promises are messy in the middle. The beginning and end are filled with God's promises. They're beautiful, but things become messy in the middle. And this is all throughout your Bible. This is not just the story of Jesus on the cross. Everybody who ever received a promise from God, they received this time where it was really joyful. Wow, God spoke to me. Abraham says, wow, God spoke to me. He said, I'm going to be the father of a nation, right? And then he grew really old and never had a kid. That was not easy. Samuel shows up and he says, David, you're going to be king. And David goes, wow, this is such a beautiful beginning to this story. And he walks through decades of his life where he's not king. In fact, the king on the throne seeks to throw javelins at him. That's the messy middle for him. On and on in your Bible, everybody receives a promise and it's so beautiful. But the, the middle of the story is always a little messy. God's promises are beautiful and they are true. But that doesn't mean they're easy. That doesn't mean that there's not hardship. There is a mess in the middle of God's promises. Can I tell you something? You might be in the middle of a mess today, but God's promises are still true. Hold on. Hold on. You see, the middle, the middle takes faith. The middle takes grace. The middle requires love. The middle will cost you tears. The revelatory truth remains, even in the middle of the mess, you are still in the middle of the greatest story ever told. You are in the middle of the greatest story ever told. Today, you stand somewhere between the beginning and end. You agree with that? And that is a great place to be. Revelations 22, verse 13. Can we jump to an end right here? Let's see this. Who says this? I think you read in your Bible. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Y'all know where I'm going? Jesus is the beginning. He's the first. He is the Alpha. He is the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story is who? Jesus And Jesus is the end, the last, the omega. The ending of the story is who? Jesus. If Jesus stretches all the way from the beginning to the end, who do you think we find in the middle? We find Jesus. You see, Jesus is there too. Jesus is not just at the end or the beginning. He's in the messy middle. Jesus gets his hands dirty all throughout the Bible. The next time you just read through the Gospels and read through the Bible, I want you to pay attention to the hands. Anytime it comes up, Jesus gets his hands dirty a lot. You had the hands of a carpenter. You ever see a carpenter with beautiful fashion model hands? (laughs) You're you're fortunate if they have 10 digits, actually, if you're a carpenter, all right? (laughs) He had rough camp carpenter hands. They knew a hard day's work. They, they had blisters on them. They had sores on them. They had calluses. 
They had so many swords, they were now just one big callus. That's, that's, a, that's a carpenter's hand. But those hands, although they might have been full of calluses, they were soft enough to carry children. Those hands held children in his lap. People said, children, you get away from him. And Jesus says, not on your life. You bring all the kids to me. <laughs> oh, that you would all come to me like these children. His hands motioned people to come. I don't know of a verse where Jesus says, oh, you get out of here. Y'all get out of you silly people. Maybe the money changers a little bit. Maybe, maybe that one. But often he's like, come, come, come follow me. Come and follow me. He, how does he greet his disciples for the first time? Come and follow me. I can see a hand motion there. His hands broke bread, and he gave it often. Now, he gave it to the multitudes. He fed it. That's just complete strangers he didn't even know. He broke it, gave it. And then even in, in the Last Supper, this is people really close to him, those same hands, broke the bread and gave it to people he knew very intimately. There was nobody that his hands wouldn't touch. His hands reached down right in the ground for a woman who had sinned. His hands reached into mud and to bring healing for a blind man. His hands reached down and grabbed a fisherman who was drowning. His hands touched lepers and cleansed them. Oh, the hands of Jesus. And in Revelation 1, John saw Jesus in this vision, in this dreamlike thing that's so real and so supernatural that he sees Jesus. And what does he do? It says that he falls to the ground like a dead man. It's just, I just I, if I were to do that, that would be really weird. If I just fell like I were dead, imagine that. One of those marionette puppets that you and you just let it go and it just crumples to the ground. That's what I imagine. He just like crumpled to the ground. What a intense moment. Just sees Jesus. But here is what Jesus did to that dead man. What happens? Revelation 1 and 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Oh, the hands of Jesus. The wonderful hands of Jesus. Jesus surrendered these hands to violence. His hands received spikes through them. They were stained with blood. When someone who doubted him, Thomas doubted him, he asked, I'll believe if I see your hands. And Jesus comes into that room and he shows him his hands and Thomas was so moved by seeing the hands of Jesus that he says the words, if you know them, say it with me. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Oh, to see his hands, it's a revelation. Thomas had walked with him all those years. But when he sees the hands of Jesus with those nail pierces in them, he gets a revelation of who he is. In the beginning, you find Jesus. In the end, you find Jesus. And in the messy middle, 
you find Jesus. There are three crosses on that hill called Calvary. Which one carried Jesus? Was it the one on the left? Was it the one on the right? Or was it the one in the So what will you do on this Easter Sunday? I want to encourage you to surrender your mess. Somebody just, I'm, this might be really releasing to say in church. Could you do it with me? Say, I'm a mess. Will you just say that? I'm a mess. Yeah, me too. Some kind of good to stop playing like you're not a mess? No, just own it. You got to own it before you surrender it. Don't hide your mess. Confess your mess. Don't try to clean it up yourself. That has never, ever worked. Surrender your mess to the one who was willing to come into our messy. No matter what your mess is today, Jesus can cleanse it. He can clean your mess. What does Jesus clean our mess with? You know what he cleans our mess with? You know? Over here, I don't know if the camera's on. You know what he, what does he cleans our mess with? Anybody know? With his blood. There's something about the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you today, uh, no matter what your mess is today, he can clean it. You know what his blood can cleanse today? All your messes. Every one of your sins. That's your mess. Every one of your fears, that's your mess. Every one of your shames, your regrets, that's your mess. I want you to visualize what your mess is today, all your disappointment, doubt, and fear. Every one of your messes. Jesus can cleanse them all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Will you read this out loud with me? Our sins are washed away. And we are made clean because Christ gave his own body as a gift to God. He did this one. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.